Basically, Jehovah's Witnesses have taken advantage of where other churches have failed. Many denominations did very little in terms of teaching their members about the Bible. That has nothing to do with whether doctrine's interpretation are correct, but the presentation is outstanding. The presentation is beautiful. Welcome to the Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Each week on this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest or guests who have insight or experience with that subject. Now, if you're new to this show, we're not always going to agree, but we're not going to argue. Our goal on the show is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing views in a way that builds bridges, but not barriers. Our guests today are Lady C and JT Thomas. They are the host of EXJW Critical Thought Podcast, a show that presents facts and personal experience with The Watchtower, Bible Track Society, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Welcome to The Dismantle, guys. Thank you so much for having us on the program. Thank you so much. We're glad that we're able to share this time with you. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for our discussion, and thanks so much for saying yes. So this show is going to be a little bit different with... With each show, we usually ask our guests in the opening to uh, to let us know how they got introduced to church and faith, but some of that story is directly connected with the topic that we're going to be discussing today, and that's centered around Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, JT and Lady C, could you guys briefly share with our listeners how you got introduced to the Watchtower and to Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, pretty much, um, this is all I've ever known is Jehovah's Witnesses, because my mother you know, she studied with the witnesses when I was a small child and, and later on became one of Jehovah's Witnesses. My grandfather introduced the religion to um, his children who later became witnesses after they became adults. And so when my brother was hit and killed by a car um, when he was only six years old, my mother remembered the, um, the, the promises that the Jehovah's Witnesses had given to people who had lost a, a loved one in death. And so that's when she began her journey into this religion. And I was just a small child, and that's all I ever knew was Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, pretty much the same uh, for myself. Um, People become Jehovah's Witnesses typically either in their childhood or as adults. Um, In my case, it was my childhood. I was probably about five or six years old, and it was pretty much the actual standard way in which people do become Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, some witness knocks on your door. Uh, the person invites them in. Uh, they have an interesting conversation. The witness will typically try to leave some type of literature and make arrangements to come back to see how you enjoyed the literature. Uh, they may come back in a week or two. And at that point, if they see that there seems to be interest, they will often introduce the person to uh, what is known as a home, a free home Bible study. And it's a very simple question. They ask the person, well, would you like to learn more about the Bible? And the living in the South where I'm from is the Bible Belt. People just have pretty much almost a natural interest in things that's related to the Bible, God, Jesus, and so forth. So my mom, like any other person who was a Christian back in those times, invited the witnesses to come back. They seemed harmless. They was clean cut, had a Bible in their hand. Nothing could be wrong with these people. And as a result, my mom started to study, uh, started to attend the meetings at the Kingdom Hall. And as children, uh, as a young child, we came along. And so this literally became what we came to know as our faith. Uh, I only can recall about one or two times actually attending a church for church services. 
So pretty much from about five or six years of age, I grew up in this religion, and that's pretty much all I've ever known. Hmm. Now, both of you sort of alluded to the fact that this was this was normal. Did at any point in your your upbringing or or you know maybe even early adulthood did at any point this seem weird was there any any point where you felt maybe this is a, a little strange or anything like that i don't recall feeling that way the only thing that i ever questioned when i was a little kid was constantly asking my mom about how god got here and i would always say i don't understand that that doesn't make any sense so i always had a question about god and his his beginning because i knew we had a beginning as humans but i just couldn't understand it and my mom would always just tell me you just have to believe you just have to believe so other than, otherwise you know um everything else was pretty normal because you know when they when the, when you become one of jehovah's witnesses or you're being introduced to this as a child you just easily do it because everybody around you is doing that and it just seems normal, you know. Sure. sure. The issue you raised about uh, does a person at, at, at a point uh, begin to question or, or, or think things are not quite right, um, probably the best answer I can give you is, like with most people, you do. Uh, the issue becomes how is it handled? And this is something that the Watchtower Society and Jehovah's Witnesses, as a denomination, they address this early on, early on. And they address it constantly. And that is they correlate it with one's spirituality and one's love of God. So if you start questioning or doubting, then in the religious community of Jehovah's Witnesses, this is considered a person who is questioning God, who is doubting God, who is spiritually immature. So being that you don't want to be viewed that way or looked at that way by other witnesses, Whenever something comes into your mind, in fact, that's one of the questions we often ask almost all of the people that we work with. Was there ever a point where you questioned things, doubted things? And almost to the man, to the woman, the answer is yes. But then we ask the second question, well, what happened? Well, once again, the answer is almost the same to the man or to the woman. And that is you push it to the back of your mind because everyone surrounding you, as my wife mentioned, they will be there to discourage you to continue to think along those lines. So basically the witness organization is set up with checks and balances. And, and because witnesses are your only source of association, your only source of biblical knowledge and anything related to spirituality, they become what you surround yourself with. And so if you get out of line, you get checkmate and you just fall back in line. And after a period of time, as they say, you just know better than to ask too many questions. So it just becomes part. And that's why we tell people all the time, two very important things to understand about Jehovah's Witnesses is their teachings, their theology, how they use the Bible. And the second thing is their culture. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes the culture is more powerful than the teachings because the culture is a result of cues, uh, unwritten rules, uh, behavioral things. And these are things you won't find written down in any of their publications, but it becomes part of the culture. Um, and that's, it's like in any other organization, there are cultural things. You walk in a room, you know, they take your head off. Well, if you're from a culture where you don't do that, it's no big deal. Right. But if you're from a culture where you take your head off as a man, you, you know that. And so that's the way it is with Jehovah's Witnesses. 
There are so many things that are part of the culture. And at the end of the day, everything is coded, and this is what God wants. So they pretty much cover anything you want to do that is out of line. I also, just to, to piggyback on that, what I would like to say, just really personalizing it, is that when you are introduced to this religion, and especially as a young child, it is the foundation. And when you're taught from a very young age that this is the truth, and this is the way they present it as being the truth, and you just fall in line with that. And, and that's how I was. It wasn't a matter of questioning. It was just a matter of I just knew that this was where God was. God was at the kingdom hall. And I just felt like, why would I question that? And we were always told that if there was something going on in the religion that wasn't right, at a future time, God would clean these things out of the congregation. So you just accepted it for that. Now you mentioned that this was not just your spirituality, but there was a culture around that. And you know, not to not to to demonize your experience, but that's true with any spirituality, any religious affiliation, there's a set of beliefs and then there's the culture that comes alongside of it, the unspokens that are that are just uh, caught rather than taught. Could you both share some of the distinctives and some of the, the key attributes about Jehovah's Witnesses that set them apart from other spirituality and, and faith journeys? One of the things that I'd like to bring about um, is the fact about um, funerals. Um, I, I've had several conversations with individuals that I used to work with, and we had talked about the Jehovah's Witnesses and the shunning. And an issue came up with one of my old coworkers about how um, he kept trying to say that Jehovah's Witnesses are no different than any other religion. And I kept trying to explain to him that we were different. And one day, he was so frustrated, he called us one night and said, what is going on? He said, my, my childhood friend's mother passed, and he won't even go to the funeral. And so it was like, he just could not believe that uh, his childhood friend would not go to his mother's funeral. And um, I know I mentioned the, the issue of shunning, and basically, shunning is if a Jehovah's Witness no longer wants to be, be a Jehovah's Witness, or maybe they got disciplined in the congregation because of adultery, fornication, or whatever, smoking, drinking, or, or, or being an alcoholic or whatever, then they would be disfellowshipped. And so they would be shunned as a result, and they would be shunned until they would be um, met with a judicial committee to be accepted back into the organization. But anyway, so going back to the, um, the situation with this uh, person being at this funeral and not attending his mother's funeral. And so he just couldn't believe it. And I was telling him, this is what I was trying to tell you. And I further um, talked about this situation with funerals and how we know people that have had the death of a mother, father, brother, or sister. And they're disfellowshipped. This Jehovah's Witness is disfellowshipped. And they go to the funeral, and uh, no one 
at the uh, funeral that are Jehovah's Witnesses will even console them, will say, I'm sorry for your loss. They won't have anything to do with them. They won't speak to them and they won't even look at them. So the issue with, you know, consoling someone for, you know, losing someone in death, you know, that, that stands out. And the reason why that, and the reason why that person didn't go to the mother's funeral is because um, the individual was a Jehovah's Witness and the funeral was being held at a church. And so they did not want to be at that church attending their own mother's funeral. Wow. Now it's not that witnesses can't go to a church funeral. In fact, witnesses didn't even know if they could go or not. So what witnesses do when they don't know what they can do, they will write to the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society to ask, is this okay for us to do? Um, just to take it to the very extreme, and we can provide you with some quotes if you like to, to just demonstrate that. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will even write to the Watchtower Society asking, is it okay for them to go to certain movies or to buy certain toys for their children? And the reason why is because witnesses are so geared toward someone making a ruling for them, telling them what they can and cannot do, which is kind of a contradiction of when you think of people and spirituality. Spiritually mature people, they understand how to use understanding, wisdom, and knowledge to make decisions. Well, for a Jehovah's Witness, their decisions are made for them. Um, and so the same with going to church. Uh, the question actually had to be asked, can we go to a church? Because people don't know what they can do. And of course, the Watchtower made the point that you could go. But a lot of witnesses don't go because they have had so many years of it being pounded into their head that the churches belong to Satan, the devil. So as a result, many witnesses, even if it's a family person, they do not want to step foot inside of a church. And if they were to go into a church, they would have absolutely nothing to do with the services. So if their mother or father had died, you know, and the family's trying to get together on who's going to do the eulogy and all, the witness would not participate. Why? Because among Jehovah's Witnesses, that is viewed as interfaith. So the witnesses are very distinct uh, in that, and as, as, as my wife mentioned. And so if you attend, if you are disfellowship, as, as my wife mentioned, and you are attending a funeral, and it could even be your parents, uh, you will not have any Jehovah's Witness who would come up to you and greet you. In fact, many times such persons who are disfellowship are actually told, uh, we don't want you sitting with the family up front. You know, you know you, you, it'll cause too much, too much commotion. And so when normally within most churches, people, they may go by and they may take the last viewing of the deceased. They may walk over to the family and you'll still shake their hand. You know, I'm sorry about your law. If you are disfellowship as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, you will sit there and everybody will walk by you and they will not say, as my wife mentioned, we're sorry for your loss. The reason why? Because witnesses are not allowed to speak to this fellowship people. Even under those circumstances, they, they adhere to that. That is very different than your typical denomination that most people are familiar with. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if I understood from what you said previously, the justification for that behavior is that this is the will of God. Of course, yeah. And, and, and that's... And, 
as I tell people all the time, um, when a religious denomination can sign off with God's name at the bottom, it carries a lot of weight. And that's what the witnesses do. Everything that they do is signed off by God, even though in six months it could change because they have to revise the teaching. But in the meantime, this one right here has been signed off by God. So these are the type of things that, that is very different um, when it comes to witnesses. Uh, we were discussing earlier uh, how we wanted to address that. And uh, for me, one of the things I wanted to address was how in most religious denominations, they consider their teachings to be as solid as a rock because these are teachings that are firmly based on the word of God. Well, witnesses don't consider their teachings as solid as a rock. Our teachings are malleable. We can change them whenever we want to, whenever we need to. And so what that does, that really throws a monkey wrench when you tell someone that XYZ is the truth. And let me give you a perfect example. Uh, many teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses have been changed over the years. And how does that work in reality? Well, think about this. You have a Jehovah's Witness who has a teaching, for example, on transplants. Transplants were taught to Jehovah's Witnesses that it is a sin. It is considered cannibalism, feeding off other humans' flesh. That's how it was presented. In fact, it was so serious that you would be excommunicated or disfellowship for taking a transplant. So can you imagine you telling a co-worker who knows that you are a, a religious man, he asks you, my wife needs a kidney. And the witness will be asked, well, what, what should I do, uh, Mr. Johnson? I know, I know you're a Jehovah's Witness and you, you're a religious man. Is that okay to do? Well, the witness would have explained to him by means of the Watchtower publications that no, a transplant is like cannibalism. And so this is what God's view is on the matter. But of course, it's up to you. So the person, of course, wants to do what the will of God is. He says, well, um, me and my wife, we, we decided not to take this transplant because we don't want to sin against God. We don't want to go against the divine will of God. Well, the man's wife passed because the doctors didn't even get a chance to even try. Not meaning that you can guarantee it would have saved her life, but you didn't even try. Hmm. Six months later, the watchdog comes out and says, <laughs> uh, transplants, it's, it's a personal decision. You, you, you can decide that if you want to. That's a conscious matter. Now, a critical thinker, and this is what we discuss on our channel, a critical thinker is going to ask some serious questions. How do you present a teaching as a teaching of God? Whole other churches who are not teaching that teaching as not teaching the Bible. Disfellowship people within your religion who violate that, and they are shunned, not spoken to, won't be talked to, and then come back in six months, two years, change it with the stroke of a pen. How do you get to change a teaching of God? Well, it turns out that it's not a teaching of God after all. And so these are the things, and, and, and what's so ironic about it is, this is the ironic thing. Witnesses, they look forward to changes in teachings. They call it new light. And this is, you know, if, if there's nothing that I can get across to people to understand is that this is all by design. This is not happenstance. This is, this is specifically by design. When a person first starts studying the Bible with Jehovah's Witnesses, they have what is known as summer conventions. These are huge conventions, 20, 30, 40,000 people, Yankee Stadium, Dodger Stadium, Georgia Dome. You know, they, they have these huge conventions, and they have speakers who give talks and so forth. And one of the things that every Jehovah's Witness looks forward to when they attend these conventions is as we used to say when I was a kid, 
We're going to learn something new. We're going to get what's called by witnesses, new light from Jehovah, new understanding from Jehovah. So a person who's a Bible study, he is taught that we get new light as Jehovah's witnesses. We get new understanding as Jehovah's witnesses. Well, sometimes these new understandings, they actually contradict the previous understanding. And there are cases where they actually go back to, to the old understanding later on. It's like light on, light off, light back on again. And so these are, these are teach. So how can you teach that this is a teaching of God, change it in five years? And now it's been, it's been revised. And so that's very kind of unique. That's the most, most religions they teach, you know, we have solid teachings. They're solid as a rock. They've been in place for years. You can build your faith on them. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses, their teachings can change. They can change at any time. And they do. And they do. The ironic thing, and this is the last point I want to make, is that they condemn other churches when they change their teachings. For example, the Catholic Church for many years taught that you could not eat meat on Friday. The watchtower went up one side and down the other when they changed the teaching on the eating of meat. So, <laughs> so you, you, then you have the double standard. So it, it's, it's an interesting process. And that's why I said understanding their teachings and their culture is absolutely fascinating. Just from hearing your experience, it, it appears to be a very insular community. In, in both of your experience, how does a Jehovah's Witness view the world the people in it, their role in it, you know, what's some of that experience? Well, we look at people when we, when I was one of Jehovah's Witnesses, um, we always looked at people that were not Jehovah's Witnesses. We, we would call them worldly. And so like, you know, there are Jehovah's Witnesses that may have friends that are not Jehovah's Witnesses. And that Jehovah's Witness would be considered a worldly witness because they're hanging out with a worldly person. So, you know, you'll get those type of situations. And so, you know, if you're with a group of Jehovah's Witnesses and you see somebody on your job, you don't want the people that are at the Kingdom Hall with you thinking that you're having any dealings with this worldly person because it's going to make you look as a person that's not being spiritual. So basically, as a rule of thumb, Jehovah's Witnesses look at people that are not Jehovah's Witnesses as worldly. And we look at them as not, you know, uh, approved associates, people that you wouldn't want to be um, hanging out with unless you're actually studying the Bible with them so that you can convert them. So we look at them in a manner that is not you know, pleasing to be around them. And we believe that they're going to be destroyed at Armageddon if they don't convert. And so it's, it's not really a good thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that 99.9% .9 of every man, woman, and child, when this world comes to an end, the great tribulation, Armageddon comes, they will find themselves on the side of Satan. So basically, witnesses, they don't view any other person as a Christian, um, Mother Teresa, whoever. You, if you are not a person who has accepted the explanation of Scripture as it is presented by the Watchtower writers, then you don't have a snowball's chance. And so that's why they make these type of statements to witnesses. So you, this, this, as you mentioned, the insular group, you feel special 
you feel chosen. And so you look upon others with pity because they're not going to make it, only us. And that type of mindset starts even at children. Jehovah's Witness children are told, we just, we just had this conversation with someone recent. they're taught you do not view your classmates as your friends. So if little Johnny is talking about little Timmy, he's my friend, he's my best friend, the Jehovah's Witness parent will correct him. Little Johnny is not your best friend because he does not love Jehovah. Only those who go to the kingdom hall, they love Jehovah. They make it very simple for the kids. It's, it's black and white. And so all the child got to do is ask, does Johnny and Teresa go to the kingdom hall? No. So that means they're not, they're not my friend. That's right. It's, 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 it's the conditioning is amazing. Um, one of the things we did after we left the witness, we went back to college. And one of the first classes we took was psychology because we wanted to understand how the process of conditioning worked, how Pavlo's dog and all those experiments that psychologists have done for years to show how you can influence people to do things. And that's why, you know, almost every major corporation in the world and advertising agencies, they employ the, the services of psychologists and psychiatrists because they want to be able to be able to influence what people do by the colors, by the music, everything. They understand that certain things make the mind work a certain way and they capitalize on that. Well, the same thing with a witness. You start a young child telling him that all your classmates are gonna lose their life in Armageddon. By the time you, as I mentioned someone before, by the time you get to the 12th grade, all your classmates are dead meat. <laughs> they just did me. So I know, and it's especially like I remember when I was going to school, and I was like, when you get those little kids that would tease you because you didn't salute the flag, oh my, oh my goodness, or you didn't go um, celebrate holidays. And um, I remember this one girl in my class told me she said, "I don't like you," and I'm looking at her like, "Really?" And she's like, "Because you don't celebrate Christmas, you know, and so you get picked on and everything." And I remember saying to myself, but that's okay, because she's going to be destroyed at Armageddon. You know, so you <laughs> had all these people dying because they didn't become one of Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, it was just crazy. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's how, interestingly, that is how parents comfort their Jehovah's Witness children. Many times, you know, as they say, kids can be cruel. Um, and so if you're a Jehovah's Witness kid, you get the regular cruelty that just comes from being a kid in school, but then you get, you get the punishment, you get, you get persecuted, as we used to call it. And so many, they're, they're just little, I mean, I mean, there are just millions and millions of Jehovah's Witnesses kids in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years who went home crying. And when they got home, they told their parents, they were laughing at me because they saw me out on Saturday knocking on doors offering Watchtower. That, that, was the, that was the worst thing in the world for If you're a kid, Jehovah's Witness, oh my goodness, to go out and knock on doors on Saturday and run to some of your classmates because you know Monday morning you're going to get it. You're going to get it. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I saw you in a suit and tie, the bag, selling books. So, so you know you're going to get it. And so for a lot of little Jehovah's Witness kids that come home from school crying, and the way the parent comforts them is they let them know, you are like the three Hebrew boys. You are like Daniel in the lion's den. And Jehovah's going to destroy all of these little kids who have treated you. And so all of a sudden you feel better. Like, that's all. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. They're going to die. They're going to die. And so this is the type of stuff that's getting planted into a little child's mind at seven or eight. That's a little different than what your typical mainstream Methodist and Presbyterian child is being taught by his parents at home. It's mm -hmm. a little different. 
and, and you know what the interesting thing about all of this is, what we're saying right now, is um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, when, when I was coming along, everything was always measured based on a six-month period. And so you could literally um, go to somebody's house, knock on the door, introduce yourself, sell, give them a Washtown Awake magazine, start a Bible study, and in six months, the person that you studied with could be fully indoctrinated as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And the interesting thing about that is um, people have been sucked into this religion just by saying that they want to study the Bible. They want to learn about the Bible. So when Jehovah's Witnesses come to their door, they're thinking, oh, I am just here to learn the Bible because I understand that you guys know the Bible better than a lot of these churches out here. And all to their detriment, six months later, they're getting ready to become baptized Jehovah's Witnesses because you can actually be indoctrinated in six months. Yeah. And basically, Jehovah's Witnesses have taken advantage of where other churches have failed. Unfortunately, historically speaking, many denominations did very little in terms of teaching their members about the Bible. Let me give you a perfect example. Many churches for, for years, I remember, I remember growing up as a kid, most people, they get up on Sunday morning, they got dressed, put their suit and tie on, and they went to church. They went to church with nothing in their hand. And they would get into church, and the pastor would open up the Bible, and he would say the sermon today is going to be based on Luke 3, 4. And he would preach for 45 minutes on one verse. As a result, people had no reason to have a Bible because he ain't got but one verse he's working with. Well, anybody who watches a Jehovah's Witness, they'll notice how he jumps from one part of the Bible to the other part of the Bible, back and forth. Greek scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, Genesis, Revelation, Matthew, Malachi, he goes back and forth. Well, you learn that as a kid. Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll take you and they'll teach you all the books of the Bible. You will be able to comfortably move through Obadiah and any of the Bible chapters. They'll also teach you all the main characters of the Bible. And I remember as a kid, Witnesses often use their kids as selling points. I'll give you a perfect example. You have a child that's seven years old. He's with an adult witness or with his parents, and they knock on someone's door. Person opens the door. He's a typical mainstream person, you know, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever. And the witness tells the person at the door, today we was out sharing some scriptures from the Bible. And he says, would you mind if we read a Bible verse with you? The person says, no, no problem. The witness will then turn to a five, six, seven-year-old child and says, could you read Obadiah chapter one, verse three? And the child takes the Bible out and starts reading. Now, this person standing at the door is 45 years old. He's never even heard of Obadiah. And this little seven-year-old knows what Obadiah is. He found it and then he read a verse to me. I'm impressed. And hmm. so people that look at it and like, man, this religion is teaching their children stuff. Now, that has nothing to do with whether doctrine's interpretation are correct. But the presentation is outstanding. The presentation is beautiful. And so this is what often impresses me. Because my mom used to do it all the time. She said, JT, I need you to read some. And people, you see people with their mouth open like, you know how to find the Bible that quick. I'll be, be, be here for 10, 15 minutes trying to find that, that, that Bible chapter in the book. <laughs> so, so that's the type of environment that you grew up in. And so this is oftentimes, as I tell people, the witness presentation is very appealing especially if you're having issues in your life. It is very appealing. Now, 
you sort of alluded to this, but I'd love for you to go into detail if you if you prefer. What was your schedule like? You you mentioned that on the weekends you'd go door to door, and and I think anybody who lives in a neighborhood with a door has experienced that. Um, but but what was your week like? What what was some of the things that were required of you? When we were Jehovah's Witnesses, there were five meetings a week. They, they were on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And then you had to go out and field service knocking on doors on Saturday. So on Friday, Friday night, you would prepare for your Saturday presentation when you would go out and field service. And you would go out for a couple hours on Saturday. So Friday night would be your preparation time for Saturday. You get up on Saturday, you go out and field service, and you be out for a couple hours. On Saturday evening, you come home, you study for your watchtower, which would be on Sunday. Sunday, you would go to the meeting that would be for the public talk and the watchtower discussion. And then um, the next day would be Monday, and then Monday you would study for your your meeting on Tuesday night. And Tuesday night was our theocratic school and service meeting. And then on Tuesday, you would attend that meeting from like 7.30 to 9. And then on Wednesday, you would have to get ready for your book study. So then you would study your lesson for the book study. And then on Thursday, you would go to the book study. And then on Friday, you would start your week all over again. So you had something to do just about every day. Wow. Now, this, this, what she just explained to you, a friend of ours, he, he left the organization and he went to see a psychologist, you know, just trying to you know, get, his, get, you know, get, get things back in place and everything. And that was the question she asked, exactly what you just asked. And he explained to her what his basic schedule was. And, and when he finished, she said, she asked him, how long have you been having this schedule? And he said, all my life. Wow. But you know what I feel? This is what I feel about this schedule. You know, since we've been doing our YouTube channel and talking about it, I made a comment on one of our videos, and I pointed out that as a Jehovah's Witness, it's like you're on call 24-7. <laughs> and one of the um, witnesses that was lurking on our page made a comment and said, that is not true. And i just like to say this for the viewing audience. Or the listen, this for the listening audience that as a Jehovah's Witness, you felt like you were always doing something for the Watchtower. Even when we went on vacation, I remember we went to Florida for one week and we had some friends, and um, we purposely just did not take any Jehovah's Witness um, meeting, uh, meeting attire with us. We didn't take any suits, I didn't take any dresses. And we weren't going to the Kingdom Hall. And so we had some friends at the Kingdom Hall, used to be a friend of JT's when he was at Bethel um, in Brooklyn, New York, serving at the Watchtower headquarters. And when we came back from our vacation, he tried to question us in a manner to find out whether or not we had went to the Kingdom Hall when we were out of town. Now, mm -hmm. mind you, we're on vacation. Right. And so then he just chalked it all up and said, you weren't at no Kingdom Hall when you were out of town. I know you guys didn't go to the Kingdom Hall. So here we were being we were being dogged out by some so-called friends friends of ours because after they questioned us to find out if we went to the Kingdom Hall, 
they kind of discovered they kind of discovered that we didn't go and we're on vacation but even though you're on vacation they're still expecting you to go to the kingdom hall and carry out that whole schedule that i just told you about while you're out of town on vacation you know even your employer gives you a week off and lets you be off hmm. but the watchtower society wants you to be on their schedule all the time this is why it's often referred to as a high control group they dictate every aspect of your life careers uh, types of clothing movies music they even go so far as to dictate what type of um, intimate and sexual practices that husband and wives can engage in in the privacy of their bedroom and it, it's, it's, it's amazing and I, I remember telling someone that and they, the question they asked was well, wait a minute hold up hold up, hold up, hold up. how does the church know what you and your wife doing 2 30 in the morning hmm. and the reason the church knows is because one of the things that is a very prominent feature of the organization is guilt and this guilt causes witnesses to turn themselves into the elders when they have violated some of the rules of the organization. And so you would have a couple who they fully know what the rules of intimacy is. And if they were violated, one of them, husband or wife, would have a guilty conscience to the point where they would turn themselves in, the elders. That's just how much control historically this religion has over people's lives right down to what takes place between the sheets it's absolutely amazing but you know what that comes from too is you go to the kingdom hall and you sit at these meetings and brothers will give talks from the platform saying are you grieving jehovah's holy spirit and so they'll be saying stuff like if let's say for instance you're having problems in your marriage and you're not getting along things aren't working well and you'll start to think about oh that's right. We did something wrong. We did this. We did that. And then they're like, well, you know, you need to come to, you need to come forward because, you know, somebody in the congregation is grieving God's spirit. Da, 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 da. Then that person sitting at their seat is thinking, oh, this is the reason why things are going so bad in my marriage. Let me go um, turn myself into the elders. And it just goes downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah. Confession. You know, the Catholic church has nothing on the Jehovah's witness style of confession. Now, We'll point people to your episode 10, where you guys go into great detail, which uh, you know I highly encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that. The detail about breaking free from the Watchtower and the Jehovah's Witnesses, you're no longer associated with them. What was that transition like for you, whether that's physically, emotionally, or, or even spiritually? What was that break like? For, for many Jehovah's Witnesses, it is, it is the most devastating point in their lives. The reason why is because you are going to lose your entire support system. And as a result, it has often led people to suicide. We have personally talked to people who are literally about to commit suicide because of that. You have no friends who are not Jehovah's Witnesses. You're 40 years old. You have never been allowed to cultivate any real friendship with people who are not witnesses, either on the job, in the community, former classmates, because they are considered worldly people who are part of Satan's system. The only friends you have are those who go to the Kingdom Hall. 
In fact, Jehovah's Witnesses use a phrase, and I often laugh about it all the time. They were long ahead of Mark Zuckerberg because they call one another friends. These are the friends. And so these are the only associates that you have. So once you leave the organization, you will lose that friendship. And for many people, it is devastating. For me, it was a little different. Because of my past experience of being an elder in the congregation, also working at the world headquarters of Jehovah's Witnesses in Brooklyn, New York, I knew the organization from the corporate side. See, most people, they just think about the Jesus and the Bible. I saw this organization from the corporate side, the policy side, the movers and shakers in this organization. The average Jehovah's Witness has never met anyone who writes the articles in the Watchtower magazine. I know practically all of the guys who write the articles in the magazine because I worked with them when I was in New York. So you get to know these people. You see that they're not as special as they're often believed when a magazine or when you're in Chile or when you're in Mexico or you're in Sweden and you get a Watchtower and you're thinking, this came from, from the Watchtower, but I know these guys. And so I saw a corporate side. I also knew how the policy worked. I know how, I know how the rules work. So when I made a decision to leave, it was not very difficult for me. It was um, because I, I believed this. I believed in their system until I realized that their system was severely flawed. And so for me, it was a little different. I, I, I have left. I have never stepped foot in the Kingdom Hall since the day I left. And I have never contacted any of the former elders I knew because I know what they are trained to do. They're trained to put the phone down. I know because that's what I would have done. And that's just the way the system works. So when I left, I was prepared. And I, I, I told you, I made a decision, you know, mother, father, brother, sister, whatever. I knew I had to leave. And I wasn't going to sit there and let anyone do that. But it is very, very difficult because we have talked to so many people who have been kicked out of their homes. They have been told, you leave today. Not tomorrow. Pack up your bag. Go upstairs. Get your bags. And you leave. Because you have left God. Then you're not a friend of mine. You're not a child of mine anymore. And so it's, it's very difficult. Very difficult. Hmm. Yeah. And even though, you know, um, this is my husband. And, you know, we're coming out of the same household. He is um, educating me about what we've been, um, what, we, what we're belonging to in this religion. Um, I, I had a little bit more difficult time, I'd say, in leaving, because even though he was an elder, you know, I, I didn't get all of what he got. So I was still a, a little bit different. Um, my, my biggest thing in leaving was my reputation. Um, I knew I had not done anything wrong. And I knew that um, I was the same person that I was when I was a Jehovah's Witness. And so for me, it was like, I wanted people to know that. And so for a few people, I did reach back in to talk to them, try to let them know that I'm the same person that, you, that I was when I was going to the Kingdom Hall. And so I remember JT, you know, he was trying to help me along in this process and help me to understand what he knew. But um, sometimes... You know, you got to experience it on your own. And um, I got my, I got my, um, my uh, fingers burned a couple of times, you know, calling people and 
trying to, you know, reach back to help people. And um, looking back, you know, I can really see that what he was saying was so true was because even though um, you think that people um, have left the religion, you don't really want to always reach back to get everybody or to talk to everybody. One, one former Jehovah's Witness put it best. He said, there is no dignified way that you will leave. And that is true. Your name will be trashed and you need to understand that. And that's really what our channel focuses on. What we find is that many people who leave, they leave one, the wrong way, and two, they're not prepared for the backlash. Once they find out that this is not the religion they thought it was, they feel they can just tell everybody, no, they've been lying to us, they've been misleading us, and they think that these people, because they are family, relatives, and close friends, will listen. As I said before, it's important to understand the culture and the, and the teaching. Jehovah's Witnesses are trained, and I mean they are trained. I know because I was trained this way, and I train other people this way as an elder. You are trained to shut down. I mean shut down like an ATM machine on the third try. You are trained to shut down if anyone, anyone steps to you and you get a whiff, a smell, a hint an inference that this person that you're talking to is condemning the watchtower, talking bad about the watchtower, saying something negative. So the witness is trained. He's prepared. He doesn't spend 13 years being prepared for the day. Does anybody come to him and start saying something that gives the appearance or makes him think, it's like you're talking against the organization and they're ready for it. The problem is the person themselves are not ready for the backlash. And we have talked to so many people in the last 20 years that we've been out where they thought they could tell people and the response was both swift and severe. I mean, swift. And all of a sudden they're standing with nothing. I mean, nothing. No job. You have a witness who works for another witness. He has no job. You have a witness who rents a house for another witness. He has no job. Now we know in certain countries, we have certain laws on the books, but you can't do certain things to people because of their religious affiliation. That's wonderful and that's good. But keep in mind, Jehovah's Witnesses have boots on the ground in over 200 countries. And that's not the case in every country. Every country does not have rentals protection. They don't have those type of laws. And so all of a sudden, these witnesses in these other countries, third world countries, Latin American countries, they find themselves with no place to live tonight. Tonight. They have no job tomorrow morning. Leave the, leave the plumbing truck keys onto my desk when you leave this afternoon. Find another job in the morning. And there's no recall. And so these people were not prepared. So we, our channel, one of the things that we want to do with our channel, we try to do is, is we want people to understand what you're up against and how you can prepare yourself to face it. Because it is coming. And there's nothing that you can do to avoid it. The reason why is very simple. This is how high control groups respond. As someone once made a statement, the most interesting aspect of a religion is how they treat you when you leave. That's the most important mm -hmm. thing to note. How does a religion treat you when you leave? When Larry Johnson was a Presbyterian and he became an Episcopalian, how did his former members treat him when he left? A Jehovah's Witness is going to be treated a little bit different.
just feel like the Jehovah's Witnesses and belonging to this group is like going, it's like creating a new country and learning a new language and a culture, a style and everything. Because everything that we're mentioning in this podcast is there's a lot going on. And, and I think that people, it's gonna make their head swim because you're just saying a lot of stuff. And it's, it's, just, it's just a lot of stuff that we're saying. Sure. And I don't, I don't know how they'll take it, you know? I yeah, mean, I mean, I mean, to, how are you? How are you processing? Yeah, and, and definitely for for me, uh, my mind's going all over the place. Not just like that. I that I'll need to listen again because I I will want to listen again. But from the standpoint of connecting the dots with my own experience with Jehovah's Witnesses, but also seeing parallels in my own experience. Our listeners are probably familiar with my my journey a little bit within the evangelical Christian sphere, but seeing the parallels of not being able to ask questions and being raised from a young age to uh, respond and recite verses. I mean, you know, so I, I think some people might look at that and be like, wow, that's really crazy. Whereas other people might say, well, that's very similar to my experience. So I, I think there needs to be a level of understanding not only for our listeners, but for uh, for me within this conversation, that this isn't radical. This is, uh, you know, it's it's not radical to say I can't believe people would do this because people do this all the time. It's it's what you do with it that determines the health not only of the person involved, but also how you see the world. And it's very it's very difficult to kind of just. You know, for for the last couple of minutes that we've been been chatting, it's very difficult to just say, uh, you know, that was a good conversation. Moving on with my life. No, this is this is going to be a very a very process oriented conversation that I'll be taking into the next couple of days, if not weeks. Yeah, the, the witnesses have changed their language from what they used to say years ago. Years ago, the witnesses used to refer to themselves as the New World Society. They used to refer to themselves as the New World Order. And they began to realize that it wasn't politically correct to use those types of terms because other groups were using the same thing as well. Right. But if you go back into some of their literature, you'll see that they talk about how that all mankind will be destroyed except those who are part of the New World Order. I mean, it, it, it is absolutely amazing. You think it's, I, I tell people all the time, three of the greatest writers in the world was Gene Roddenberry, Ron L. Hubbard, and Fred Franz hmm. because they all wrote fiction. You know what? I, if you if 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 you don't take anything away from our discussion, um, what I feel like is this whole thing about going out in field service. Um, going on field service to Jehovah's Witnesses is knocking on doors, and now you see people with those carts, you know, at the supermarket or at the malls and stuff, you know, on the street corners and stuff, and they have these carts that they have. They call it cart witnessing. And when we went to New York City on the train, we got off the train, that's the first people we saw was Jehovah's Witnesses with those carts trying to offer these magazines, you know. But if you don't get anything out of it, um, there's a reason why they're there. And that is to um, preach and to convert people. Because they believe that this good news of the kingdom will be preached 
to an all the inhabited earth for witness to all the nations and then the end will come and that's matthew 24 14. and so um jehovah's witnesses believe that it is a requirement of all witnesses people that believe that you know god is jehovah and he's that you're preaching this good news and that's just a requirement and that's the reason why they go door to door and um for my entire life i waited for the end to come and um we've been gone for 20 years the end still hasn't come people are still preaching people are still quitting their jobs to do this full time they're still not going to college just it's just like a whole cycle you know it's a continual cycle 140 years of people believing that they got to go door to door to warn the wicked so they can become baptized jehovah's witnesses they can be saved at armageddon or they can be resurrected to this paradise earth that's the whole crux of this religion yeah i think it's very important that you take away that you that you understand and this and this is um and, and and i think a lot of it has to do with what, what my what our personal life experience has been and the level within the organization that we have been exposed to which is a level that of the eight million jehovah's witnesses they will never ever see just just never see um jehovah's witnesses are not when people often see us doing what we do they think that we are that we hate jehovah's witnesses they think that we as individuals ourselves are angry at Jehovah's Witnesses. Actually, that's, that's about the farthest thing away from our mind. We do not hate Jehovah's Witnesses because we were Jehovah's Witnesses. We were where many of those people are right now. If anything, we feel pity for them. We feel sorry for them. Because we know that there are so many things that they teach and believe that is absolutely bogus. We know that they are willing to die for certain things that at the end of the day are absolutely bogus. And when you come to realize that you die for something that had nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the Bible, but it was merely the opinion of another human who had convinced you by elevating it to divine status. That's why you see some people on the internet are angry. And, that's, and that was why we set up our channel a little bit differently because we knew that a lot of former witnesses, they're angry. And the reason they're angry is because they're hurt. Man, you will not believe how many Jehovah's Witnesses have given up scholarships to go to MIT and Yale and Harvard and almost any other college throughout the United States of America and around the world. There are so many Jehovah's Witness kids who have full-rise scholarships. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. And they turned them down because they were convinced that it would be a waste of time because the world is going to end so soon. As, as Witnesses will often say, in the new system, we won't need doctors. So there's no need for you to go to college and spend eight years being a doctor. You won't need it. The world's going to end so soon. Um, they used to give us all kinds of very uh, childish illustrations. You know, would you put in a job application at a, at a company where out on the front door had a sign going out of business? Well, logically, a person would say, no, I'm not going to apply for a job. They got a sign saying going out of business. And then they would say, well, the same with this world we live in. It's going out of business, brothers. So do you want to be, try to get as much in? And so you would sit there and say, well, you may go to school. The world going to end in probably a couple more years. And, that's, and, and that story has simply been repeated for decades because that's the only source of information a witness gets. It's like people living in the Soviet Union or in a communist country. 
they only get information from one source. And if you talk to anybody who's been to those countries and they realize when they come to America, they find freedom, they realize, man, I was only given one source of information. And, and, in, and the life we all live, you can't have one source of information and be told you can't read other things. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're being told, you need to really do some serious check on your religion. Serious checks. Thank you so much for sharing and your uh, your transparency within this. Uh, I really appreciate the time that you've made. Where can people connect with you? Tell us a little bit about the podcast and the show that you guys have. Okay, so if you want to reach us, you can um, go to exjwcriticalthinker.com. And you can also um, find us on YouTube at exjwcriticalthinker. And the podcast is on YouTube, of course. It's also available on iTunes. If you go to iTunes, you can just type in the critical, uh, it's called Critical Thought. Just go to iTunes and type in Critical Thought. That's the name of the, po- the podcast. And you can pull that up. That's great, guys. And I just support the work that you're doing. I'm really excited to, to make that connection. And I hope we can have... Uh, a great relationship moving forward. But again, thanks for being on the show. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to follow up with our guests, you can do so within the links in the show notes. If you want to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, just type in Dismantle Pod. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com. Thank you.